0: Chapter 21 of In Brief Authority by F. Anstey This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon Chapter 21 Whose lights are fled, whose garlands dead Daphne had taken her seat in the car with somewhat conflicting feelings. She was going to clare de where she would be reunited, to Giroflé, an altogether joyous prospect, if she could hope to find the Giroflé with whom she had last parted but he was now the magnificent young prince mirliflor and it was quite uncertain whether she would even be able to recognise him it would be dreadful if she discovered that she did not care for him any longer perhaps it was anxiety but still more probably the fact of her fairy blood that prevented her from being overcome by the somnolence that none of purely british birth seemed able to resist for long after entering that magic car Daphne was not in the least drowsy, and thus was startled, after the palace and Eswarenmal had vanished out of sight, by hearing the baron suddenly order the storks to go to the chapel in the forest of Schlangensweigen, and seeing them wheel in a direction she knew was not that of their original destination. "'What are you doing, baron?' she cried. "'I thought you were to take me straight to Cladelune.' The baron put his hand to his heart, which he had once more been obliged to compress by a metal hoop before he could speak. "'It is now time,' he began, "'that you should be told who you are, madam, "'and the glorious future that awaits you.' And, with a polixity that may here be avoided, he informed her of her right to the crown of Merchanland and of the marshal's arrangements for placing her on the throne. "'But I don't want to be placed on the throne,' said Daphne. "'Do you really think I should turn out these poor wibbly stimpsons now?' when they behaved so decently in letting me go. It would be too horribly mean of me if I did.' At this he thought it his duty to enlighten her upon Queen Selina's perfidy, which naturally altered Daphne's opinion, but did not shake her determination. "'If she is so keen about her crown, she may keep it,' she said. "'All I care for now is to get to Clare de Lune and see Giraflet, I mean Merleflore.' "'But,' objected the baron, employing the marshal's argument, we should arrive there days before the prince. Then, said Daphne imperiously, tell the storks to take us to him, wherever he is. If I did so, he objected, the marshal's plan would fall through. And what if it does? How do you know that he is to be trusted? I always thought myself he had a bad face, and I don't feel at all inclined to put myself in his power. So you'll please not be a pig, Baron, but do as I say." No doubt her diction should have been more on a level with her dignity, but then it must be remembered that she had not been brought up as a prospective fairy queen. "'I am convinced,' he persisted, "'that the Marshal's devotion to Your Majesty's cause is beyond suspicion.' "'And I'm quite sure that it isn't,' retorted Daphne. "'If, as you tell me, Baron, I am your queen, it's your duty to obey my orders, and I order you to take me to Mirliflor.' He did not venture to oppose her any longer, so he gave the necessary command, and the great birds wheeled round once more towards Clare de Lune. had discovered, after accomplishing a third of his journey, that his horse had suddenly gone so lame that it was unable to proceed at any pace but a walk. He had dismounted, and was leading it until he could reach a hostelry and provide himself with a fresh steed, when he heard a loud throbbing in the air behind him. The next moment a large flight of storks passed over his head and descended with a car on a spot some yards in advance of him. He saw at once that one of the occupants was Daphne, and leaving his horse by the wayside, he went forward to meet her, not without some constraint and uncertainty, however, for his fear that she would love him no longer had not ceased to haunt him. She had alighted and was standing still, her face expressing wonder and something of alarm, could this splendid, gallant cavalier really be her homely giroufle? she was thinking? And if he were, how could he help her to overcome this paralyzing sense of his being a stranger? He came towards her, feeling almost as shy as she. Daphne, my dearest, he said, stretching out his arms, am I so changed that you can't care for me any more? And, as she heard his voice, all her doubts and apprehensions, suddenly fled. "'No,' she murmured, placing a fair hand on each of his broad shoulders, and looking fearlessly up into his face. "'You are just the same, really, my very own Girouflet. And, oh, I am so glad—' "'And you forgive me for deceiving you, dearest?' he asked, when the first rapture of meeting and reassurance was over. "'I was bound in honour to tell you nothing.' "'I know,' she said. "'The court godmother is to blame for that.' not you. And I was prepared to find you changed, Giroflor, only not quite so changed as this. "'If you would love me better as I was, darling,' he said, "'tell me so, and I will make her transform me again. I will become Giroflé for the rest of my life, rather than lose you.' "'I don't think she is well enough to be asked to do that now,' replied Daphne. "'And besides,' and here she held him from her at arm's length. Besides, now I look at you, you really are rather nice, you know. No, darling, I won't have you altered again. After all, this was only in accordance with Merchenland's precedence. Did beauty, for instance, resent her beast's emergence into a prince? All the same, Daphne was a little ashamed of herself for the increasing satisfaction she felt in Merleflore's good looks. It seemed almost an infidelity to Chirouflet but she could not help it and did not even try the baron had tactfully remained with the storks until in his opinion it was time to interrupt the lovers when he stepped towards them cracking loudly sire he said accept my congratulations on a good fortune that is perchance even greater than you yet know you have won a lady who is not only lovely but as i shall show you no other than the daughter of our late prince chrysopras and thus rightfully entitled to the crown of mergenland and you knew this daphne cried mirliflor when the baron had concluded why did you say nothing to me about it i only heard of it myself just now in the car she said and what does it matter i don't want to claim the crown all i want is to live at clairdelune with you but he told her it was her duty to her country to assert her just rights and on being informed of the appointment with the marshal He was in favour of keeping it. He will be useful, he said, if he's an honest supporter of your cause. But I'm quite certain he isn't, said Daphne. We can only make sure by meeting him, he replied, and as of course I shall be with you, you will be in no danger. He had no weapon but the sword that had served him so well at Drachenstolz, which he had brought away with him rather as a souvenir than with any idea that he might need it on his journey. But Daphne felt that, so long as Mirliflor was at her side, she had nothing to fear, and so she readily consented to re-enter the car and be taken to the chapel in the forest, where the marshal in all probability was awaiting her arrival. As the car neared the borders of the forest, Mirliflor took out the silk cap which the baron had lent him. "'I meant to have returned this to you, baron,' he said. "'But I find I have it still. With your permission, I will keep it a little longer.' "'as I fancy it may be useful.' "'Don't be alarmed, darling,' he added to Daphne. "'If you don't see me when I put this on, remember that, though I shall be invisible, "'I shall be near you all the time.' "'I'll try to remember, Merleflore,' said Daphne. "'But—but don't stay invisible longer than you can possibly help.' The chapel stood in a clearing in the very middle of the forest, and the storks calculated their descent with such nicety that they brought the car up in front of the door. The marshal, in his plumed helmet, golden cuirass, and high boots of gilded leather, was waiting, and now came forward to help Daphne to alight. His visor was raised, but the company of knights with him wore theirs down, so that it was impossible for her to know who they were, or whether they intended her good or ill. "'We expected you long ere this, Lady Daphne,' said the marshal, as he handed her out. "'Did you, marshal?' she said trying to appear unconcerned. We went a little out of our way. She noted that, either by accident or design, several of the knights had interposed themselves between herself and the baron. We have the less time at our disposal, said the marshal, so I will come to the point at once. You have no doubt been already informed of your rights, and that I and my companions are here to place you on the throne, provided you accept my conditions. I... "'I was not told of any conditions,' said Daphne. "'There is but one,' he said, and at this the chapel door was thrown open, and a priest of extremely disreputable exterior appeared on the threshold, with a lighted altar as his background. "Wed me, and you shall be Queen of Merchenland." "'I've no wish to be that,' she replied. "'And, as you know, Marshal, I've already promised to marry Prince Merleflore.' "'You may dismiss all thought of that,' he said bluntly. "'For if you refuse my hand, both you and the baron will meet with instant death. The car and birds will also be destroyed and buried, and I have so arranged that it will be believed that Her Majesty Queen Selina has had you removed to the distant land from which you came.' "'Marshal,' pleaded Daphne, trying hard to remember that Merleflore was really by her side, "'I I must have time—' Time to think over your, your proposal. It may help you to decide, Lady Daphne," he said. If you reflect that, in any case, you will never again behold Prince Merliflor of Clervalun. And why not, Marshal?" said Merliflor as he flung away the cap of darkness and stepped in front of his beloved. The Marshal knew at once that his fate was sealed. He stood no chance whatever against a prince who had slain a dragon single-handed. The knights also seemed to recognize this, or else their sympathy had veered to Daphne's side, for they stood back in a circle without attempting to interfere, while the priest, who perhaps had not till then understood that the marriage ceremony was to be compulsory, promptly re-entered the little chapel and blew out all the candles. The combat was over in a second or two, as any combat would necessarily be in which one of the antagonists was equipped with an irresistible sword, "'Murleflor, to be sure, did not know that he possessed this somewhat unsportsmanlike advantage, and had disdained to shelter himself, as he might have done, under the cap. But it is more than possible that if he had known more about the sword, he would have stretched the point of honour in this particular case. As has already been seen, he had occasional lapses from the ideals the fairy had bestowed on him at his baptism, and he was quite incapable of troubling himself about them when Daphne's life was at stake.' Perhaps he ought to have been more consistently punctilious, but he was not, which was fortunate for both of them. As soon as the knights saw the marshal fall, they hastened to protest their loyalty to their young queen and offer their congratulations, which Daphne thought it politic to accept at their face value. Horses were found for her and Merleflor, who decided to make, with the picked body of the knights, for a village a league from Eswarenmal and await developments there. Of the rest of the party some were instructed to go back to the palace and report the marshal's death while hunting the rest remained to bury his body and it was one of these who found the packet, and most unluckily for queen selina thought it necessary to deliver it in hot haste to its addressee the baron was directed to go on in the car to clairdelune and inform king tournesol that his son had found a bride at last on reaching the village near Eswar-en-Mal, Mirliflor had sent on two of his escort into the city to ascertain the state of feeling there. They brought back the unexpected news that all the citizens now knew that the Lady Daphne was entitled to the crown, and were demanding her. That Queen Selina, with her husband and son, had been imprisoned on suspicion of having made away with her, and, if she were not forthcoming by an early date, would be executed publicly without fail." In the heat of his resentment at the treachery which had so nearly succeeded in parting him from Daphne forever, Mirliflor declared that they should be left to the doom which they would certainly meet if Daphne's return were kept secret for a few days. Mirliflor said that, not Giroflet, she told him. Giroflet would never be so horribly cold-blooded. But even Mirliflor didn't really mean it. Of course we can't let these Stimson people be executed. Besides, I know... I can't say how, but I do know that Mr. Stimpson and Clarence, at any rate, haven't been parties to any plot to get rid of me. And as for Mrs. Stimpson, I dislike her, and I want to go on disliking her, which I couldn't possibly do after she had her head cut off. So we'll go into Eswarrenmal at once, Mirliflor, and do what we can for the poor things. "'I spoke in haste, dearest,' said Merliflor. "'I was wrong, and you are right, as usual.' and now we're both going to be right darling said daphne i wish clarence remarked later the same day i wish these windows looked out on the front we might see her coming back in that blessed store car she'll be sure to come the quickest way when she hears we're in the soup like this don't you think so mater i'm sure i don't know said the tortured queen selina she mayn't come back at all i mean She may keep the messengers and leave us to perish. It is only what I should expect of her. No, dash it all, Mater. She's too much of a sport for that,' he said. She'll either turn up or send word that she's all right. "'Don't deceive yourself, Clarence,' said his mother. "'I know better than you can, and I tell you that she will do neither.' "'Not when it's to save our lives?' he replied. "'She's bound to, unless—unless anything has happened to her.' "'I'm a bit worried about that, because, well, time's getting on, you know, what?' "'I trust, my boy,' said his father. "'We shall not be brought to the um, scaffold by any mistake of that kind. "'If that occurred, it would be most un—' "'He caught his wife's eye and substituted, unsatisfactory. "'I'm not sure,' he added, "'but I fancy I hear shouting. "'Seems to come from below.' "'It certainly is shouting,' said Clarence. "'And it's getting louder. "'They're coming this way. "'I—I I hope I'm wrong, "'but I've a strong impression "'that we're going to get it in the neck after all.' "'Sydney! "'Clarence!' cried Queen Selina, "'as she sank on her knees, "'unable to bear her guilty burden any longer. "'I—I I can't die "'without asking you to forgive me "'for—for for what I've brought on you.' "'It's no fault of yours, Mater,' said Clarence. Just a family luck, that's all, Ah, oh, but listen, listen, implored his mother, but before she could proceed, the door was suddenly unlocked, and Prince Topfer von Schneiderleinheimer entered with every sign of respect. I am charged by Her Majesty Queen Daphne to desire your attendance in the throne room, he said, and to convey her and Prince Merliflor's regret that you should have been subjected to any inconvenience by having permitted her departure to de Lune, Queen Selina, or rather Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson, as she was now once more, hastily rose from her knees. So the baron had disobeyed his orders, and Miss Heritage did not even know that they had been given. This was indeed an unhoped-for deliverance. What a mercy, she thought, that it had come just before she had spoken words she could never have recalled! "'Kindly assure your mistress,' she said, with all the dignity of fallen grandeur, that, while we cannot but feel that we have been most unjustly suspected, we are willing to make every allowance for the circumstances, and shall have much pleasure in coming down to offer our congratulations presently. But first I want to see the Princess Royal and Princess Ruby, if they are well enough to leave their dungeons.' "'Your daughters, madam, have merely been required to remain in their own apartments, and are in perfect health,' he replied." "'I will have them conducted to you immediately.' "'Oh, Mammy!' exclaimed Ruby a little later, "'as she ran to her mother's arms. "'Is it really true? "'Aren't you and Daddy king and queen any more?' "'No, my darling,' said Mrs. Wibberley Stimson. "'It seems the people would rather have Miss Heritage.' "'Oh, I don't mind so much if it's Daphne. "'And will Prince Mirliflor be king?' "'I really can't say how they will arrange it, nor does it interest me what they may do.' "'It does me,' said Ruby. "'I hope they'll let us stay here with them. I consider it most unlikely, even if I were willing to be a guest in my own palace. But I've no doubt they will make some suitable provision for us.' "'Speaking for myself, mother,' said Edna, "'I should be far happier leading a simple life in retirement than ever I've been in this pretentious place. And—' "'Though I never cared much about being a princess, "'we can scarcely be treated as commoners "'after what we have been. "'I shall settle all these matters myself "'with Miss Herod, Queen Daphne, I suppose I ought to call her now, "'but it's so difficult to get into it just at once. "'And now I think we will all go down to the throne-room. "'Remember, on no account to show the slightest ill-feeling. "'Let her see that, if we have lost everything else, "'we still retain our manners.' She was herself so far from betraying any ill-feeling when she entered the throne-room that she was almost overwhelmingly affectionate. "'My dear child,' she said, advancing to Daphne, who was standing in the centre of the room with Mirliflor, "'so pleased to see you both back. But we're all of us that. And, as I was saying to his—to my husband—only a few minutes ago, I'm sure, Sidney,' I said, "'There's no person in the world I would give up my crown to so willingly as I would to dear Miss Heritage.' "'Most happy,' said her husband. "'We've abdicated already, your—your your Majesty. "'Both of us, as soon as we knew the facts.' "'I—I'm most awfully glad to see your Majesty back again,' said Clarence, noting the flush on her cheeks and the sparkle in her eyes as she glanced at Mirliflor, whom he envied more than ever.' "'I was beginning to think I... shouldn't... you ran things a trifle close.' "'Perhaps I did,' said Daphne. "'But, you see, I thought it was wiser to try to find Mirliflor before being taken to... to de Lune. She said this quite simply, for she could see that, as she had been sure of from the first, both Clarence and his father were no parties to Mrs. Stimpson's design, and she was anxious to spare them all knowledge of it if she could.' her words only confirmed mrs wibberley stimpson's sense of security daphne evidently suspected nothing probably because the false marshal had never handed the baron his secret instructions much the best plan i am sure your majesty she agreed though it was fortunate for us that you found dear prince mirliflor so soon however it has all ended happily so we will say no more about it and now i want to beg that you mustn't consider us if you would like to have possession of the palace at once "'You have only to say so. "'Or if I could be of any use to you by staying on for a little, "'just to show you how things ought to be done. "'Daphne forced herself to be civil to her for her family's sake, "'not her own. "'It's very good of you,' she said, "'but I'm afraid it won't be possible for you to stay here.' "'Well,' said Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson, "'we shall be perfectly satisfied with any residence, "'if it's only quite a moderate-sized castle.' "'that Your Majesty is good enough to put at our disposal. "'Not too far from here. "'Or poor Ruby,' here she glanced at her younger daughter, "'who had taken possession of one of Daphne's hands, "'which she was kissing and fondling, "'would be quite inconsolable at losing her dearest friend. "'But her remarks were lost on Daphne, "'for just then, to Mrs. Timpson's surprise and secret dismay, "'the entrance was formally announced of the court godmother, "'whom she had imagined to be at least moribund, if not dead.' She came in, looking frail and feeble, but still with much of the energy and vitality that had seemed to have departed for ever. "'Really,' thought the disgusted Mrs. Stimpson, "'Mother Hubbard's dog is a fool to her.' Daphne had already gone to greet her and lead her to a seat. "'I'm much better, my child. In fact, almost as well as ever. A day or two ago I thought I was dying. But a little rest and the good news of your return have quite set me up again.' I begin to think I shall see my second century out yet. "'It is indeed a marvellous recovery, my dear court godmother,' chimed in Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson. "'We've all been so anxious. We should have sent to inquire, only we couldn't, because—well, you'll hardly believe it, but we've been imprisoned, and very nearly executed, too, on a ridiculous charge of having made away with our dear young queen here.' "'when, as you know, I had actually gone out of my way "'to have her sent to clare "'as soon as I found you were too ill to see to it yourself. "'And well for you that you did so,' said the grim old fairy, "'for if you had played, or even sought to play, her false, "'I would have seen to it, old and ailing as I am, "'that such treason did not go unpunished.' "'Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson shivered inwardly "'under the implacable old eyes.' She knew well that she could expect no mercy if the fairy discovered that these secret orders had ever been handed to the baron. Only, as the baron had never received them, he could tell her nothing, and as the council now believed them to be a forgery of the marshals, Mrs. Stimpson felt herself fairly safe. "'Yes, dear court godmother,' she said sweetly, "'but you see, I haven't, so we needn't discuss that now, need we? When you came in just now, I was just telling Her Majesty,' that we had no desire to stay on at the palace longer than is unavoidable, but that, naturally, we were anxious to know where accommodation would be found for us. Nothing grand, of course. Any fairly large chateau would suit us. "'I'm sorry,' said Daphne, after stooping to kiss Ruby, "'but that is quite impossible.' "'Impossible!' cried Mrs. Wibberly Stimpson. "'I can't believe that Your Majesty would turn us out of our own palace!' "'without a home to go to.' "'You have Inglegarth,' said Daphne, "'and as soon as the Baron returns with the car, "'he shall take you there.' "'I'm much obliged to your majesty,' "'returned Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson, "'her complexion deepening to a rich purple. "'Very much obliged for such truly generous treatment. "'Some people might think that, "'considering that you wouldn't be queen at all, "'but for our kindness in taking you with us "'when we were brought here.' by no seeking of ours, to reign over this ridiculous country. I say, some people might call this rather shabby and ungrateful, especially when we gave way the moment we were told there had been a mistake, sooner than make any fuss or trouble, as few sovereigns in our position would have done. And now it seems we're to be rewarded by being bundled back to a suburban residence which, whatever else may be said for it, is absurdly inadequate for any retired royalties.' but you'll find we're not to be got rid of quite so easily. I absolutely decline to go back to Gablehurst to be an ordinary nobody, after what I have been. Nothing in the world shall induce me to.' "'My love,' said her husband, "'we can't stay here if we're not wanted.' "'No, Mater,' said Clarence, "'we've got to clear.' "'I shall be thankful to get away myself,' added Edna. "'What is Merchenland, after all? "'Just a petty little kingdom "'that nobody even knows is in existence.' You may go if you please, Mrs. Stimpson declared. I shall stay, if I have to sit and starve to death at the palace gates, and a pretty scandal that will be. If you are allowed to starve, said the fairy vocal fluke, which you wouldn't be, you'd get food enough, but no sympathy. So I should advise you myself to return to your own country, where you are probably held in more esteem than you are here. And now, she added to Daphne, I must ask your majesty's leave to withdraw to my own apartments. I shall be obliged if you would send the baron to me as soon as he arrives from Clairdelune. And with this, and a stiff but stately curtsey to the young queen, she hobbled out of the throne room. I shall maintain to my dying breath, declared Mrs. Stimpson vehemently, that after governing this country as we have done, we have earned the right to stay in it. I consider we are not only entitled to that but to a suitable establishment and pension. Your Majesty can surely spare us something out of all we have given up.' Daphne intimated that she wished to reply to Mrs. Stimpson in private, whereupon the others withdrew out of hearing and left them together. "'I hate having to say it,' she began in a low voice. "'But you really can't stay here on any terms, Mrs. Stimpson. I think I needn't tell you why.' "'Your Majesty surely doesn't suspect me of any—' "'I don't suspect,' said Daphne. "'I know how you try to part me from Prince Merliflor forever, and how nearly you succeeded. He knows, too. Oh, you are in no danger from us. We shall say nothing. But there is someone else who might.' "'Not—not not the Baron,' cried Mrs. Wibberley Stimson, so thrown off her guard that she failed to see how completely the question gave her away. "'Yes,' said Daphne, gravely. "'The Baron.' you heard what the court godmother said about seeing him as soon as he returns. We have forbidden him to speak, but it's quite possible that she will get the truth out of him, and that might be rather disagreeable for you, mightn't it?' "'Very,' agreed the trembling Mrs. Stimpson. "'She'd have no mercy on me, on any of us.' "'I'm afraid not,' said Daphne, and she might not listen even to me. So... "'Don't you think it would be wiser to change your mind about staying and go back to Gablehurst before she does see him?' "'Much,' said Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson, in a half-choked voice. "'Much, if—if if it can be arranged. "'I think it can. The journey to Clare and back won't tire the storks. They will be quite able to take you over to England as soon as you're ready to start.' "'We'll go and get ready at once,' said Mrs. Stimpson, "'so as not to keep the car waiting. "'You have plenty of time.' It can't be here for some hours yet. Oh, I hope the baron will make haste, and—and if your majesty could only prevent him from seeing the court godmother till after we're gone—' She'll probably be asleep, said Daphne, but in any case he shall have instructions to take you home the very moment he arrives at the palace. I think, she added, that is all we had to say to one another. Except, said Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson, that your majesty really must allow me to express my deep sense of the very handsome No, please, said Daphne, turning away, for she felt that she had had as much of Mrs. Timpson as she could stand just then. That good lady, having partially recovered her equanimity, retreated to her husband and family. "'I've been talking it over with Her Majesty, Sidney,' she announced, "'and she has quite brought me to see that, under the circumstances, we shall really be more comfortable in dear old England.' So she has kindly arranged for us to be taken home, in the car, directly it gets back from Clare "'Glad to hear it, my love,' said the ex-monarch. "'Personally, I much prefer Inglegarth to this sort of thing.' "'But I say,' Clarence put in, glancing down at his fantastic attire, "'I don't quite see myself going back to Gablehurst in this get-up. Wish I knew what had become of the kit we came in.' It was now the hour when the court was accustomed to go up and change their costumes before dinner, and Daphne felt a difficulty as to the proper course to pursue with the Ribbley Stimpsons. Could she, without indelicacy, invite them to sit as guests at what had lately been their own table? And yet it seemed hardly human to leave them out. She decided that the former course was on the whole less open to objection. "'I hope,' she said to Mrs. Stimpson, with a touch of shyness, "'that you will all give me the pleasure of dining with us this evening. "'You see, you must have something to eat before such a long journey.' "'Your Majesty is most kind,' said Mrs. Stimson, in a great flurry. "'But if you'll excuse us from accepting what no one knows better than I is really a command, "'I—I really don't think we should have time to sit through a long dinner. "'We—we might miss the car. "'And besides, there's the question of dressing.' if we could have a few sandwiches and a little wine in one of the vestibules while we were waiting for the car that will be all we shall require you shall do exactly as you please about it replied daphne she was greatly relieved as one reason for her hesitation in asking them had been the dread that mr stimpson might think himself called upon to make an after-dinner speech her ladies-in-waiting were already in her tiring chamber highly delighted by the prospect of arraying a queen whom even when she had been nominally one of themselves they had always not merely admired but adored it had suddenly occurred to daphne that the stimpson family might find themselves on their return to gablehurst in certain difficulties against which she felt bound to do what she could to protect them she thought over the best means of doing this which took so much time to carry out that the business of arraying her for her first banquet as a royal hostess had to be got through more hurriedly than her ladies of the bedchamber thought at all decorous. But she knew that Merleflore would be well content with her, however she looked, and as a matter of fact he not only was, but had every reason to be so. The Wibberley Stimpsons had already ascertained that the clothes they had worn on their arrival in Merchenland had been carefully laid up in one of the royal wardrobes, from which they were brought at their earnest request. They put them on in frantic haste and, in deadly fear of being surprised by the royal household, they stole down the great staircase to an antechamber by the entrance hall. There they found a table set with every description of tempting food, to which all did justice but Mrs. Stimpson, the state of whose nerves had entirely taken away her appetite. She was continually starting up and saying, "'Listen, I'm sure I hear these storks." "'You'd better eat something, Mater,' Clarence said. "'It's the last dinner we shall ever have in Mergenland." i can't she replied i don't know how any of you can there go the silver trumpets she's going into the banqueting-hall now on prince Mirliflor's arm most likely how she can have the heart when she must know we are still here she did ask us to dinner my love mr stimpson mildly reminded her she had the execrable taste to do that sidney replied his wife and i think the manner in which i declined must have been a lesson to her dear me Is that car never coming?' She said that many times during the evening, as they sat on in the ebony and ivory chamber, while the strains of music reached them faintly from the distant ballroom. Clarence thought gloomily of the dance on the night of the coronation, and how his mother had forbidden him to choose Daphne as his partner. Perhaps, if he had insisted on having his own way, if he had not limited himself to a merely morganatic alliance, she might have—but it was too late to grouse about that now— He endeavoured to cheer himself by the thought that he would very soon be in a civilised land of cigarettes. It was getting late, and the music had now ceased, from which they gathered that the Queen and Court had already retired. "'She might have had the common civility to say good-bye to us,' complained Mrs. Stimpson, "'But of course she is too grand now to condescend so far. Not that I have any desire to see her again. On the contrary!' The doors of the vestibule were thrown open here and one of the ushers announced, Her Majesty the Queen and His Royal Highness Prince Merliflor. Coming here to triumph over us, was Mrs. Timpson's comment as she rose. We came to wish you a pleasant journey to Gablehurst, explained Daphne, as she entered, followed by Merleflor. I hope you won't have to wait for the car much longer, but I've told the attendants in the hall to let you know the minute it is here. She was looking radiantly lovely and girlish, and queenly as well, in spite of the fact that she was still uncrowned. But if she had had the right to wear her crown, she was incapable of doing so just then. Mrs. Wibberley Stimson made a curtsy that might have been lower if she had had any practice, but all the curtsying previously had been done to herself. "'We thank your majesty,' she said. "'I too hope there will be no more of this delay. I am getting worn out with all this waiting.' "'Oh, while I think of it,' she went on, the desire to be offensive overcoming any fear of the consequences. Of course, we are not in a position now to give really valuable wedding presents, and I am afraid mine must be a very humble offering, particularly as it needs repairing. However, such as it is, perhaps your majesty will honor me by accepting it with our congratulations and very best wishes. And she offered the jewel which she had formerly acquired from Daphne. Daphne's eyebrows contracted for an instant. The next moment she laughed. "'I really couldn't, Mrs. Stimpson," she said. "'You see, we have already given it to Clarence, and I mustn't deprive him of it.' "'Won't you accept it for me, then?' he said awkwardly. "'I—I I shan't have any use for it now.' She shook her head. "'You'll please me so much better by keeping it,' she said gently, "'in memory of Merchenland. It was true that it once belonged to her father, the father she had never known— but then it had also belonged to Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson, and Daphne was conscious now of an invincible unwillingness to accept any gift from that lady. i i do anything to please you,' said Clarence, taking the pendant from his mother and slipping it into the pocket of his dinner jacket. Ruby, in the white silk frock she had last worn at Inglegarth, was clinging to Daphne. "'I don't want to go back,' she wailed. "'I want to stay here with you. Won't you send for me some day? Say you will.' "'Do say you will!' Daphne stooped to caress and comfort her, and also to hide her own emotion. "'I wish I could, darling,' she said tenderly. "'But I'm afraid, I'm afraid I mustn't make any promises that I'm not sure of being able to keep.' "'Then say you will, perhaps,' entreated Ruby, but her mother promptly interposed. "'Ruby, my dear,' she said, "'you're forgetting how far Her Majesty is now our superior. A palace is no longer a fit place for any of us to visit.' and I consider it best we should remain in future strictly in our respective spheres. "'Then I will go to mine at once,' said Daphne, smiling. "'Good-bye, Mrs. Wibberley Stimpson. Good-bye, Edna.' She held out her hand to both of them, but they curtsied formally without offering to take it. "'Good-bye, dearest little Ruby. I hope your next governess will love you nearly as much as I do. She can't quite—' "'Good-bye, Mrs. Stimpson.' "'I think you'll be rather glad to be back in the city again, won't you?' "'I shall indeed, your majesty,' he said. "'To tell you the honest truth, I don't think I was ever cut out for a monarch.' It was Clarence's turn next, and when he saw her offering him her hand with the old frank friendliness he had a renewed sense of his own unworthiness. "'No,' he said in a low voice, "'you can't want to shake hands with—with such a hopeless rotter as I've been.' I shouldn't, she replied, if I weren't sure that you could be something very much better if you chose, and I know you will choose. I will, he said. I swear I will, if I ever get the chance. Your chance will come, quite soon perhaps, and when it does, remember that I believe in you, and good-bye, Clarence. Good-bye, Daphne, he said brokenly. As he took her hand, he thought with a keen pang that he had never held it before, and never would again. And the time had been, or so at least he imagined, when he might have made that hand his own for ever. "'Good night, Mirliflor," said Daphne, as he held aside the hangings for her. "'We shall meet to-morrow.' She passed into the great hall with a dignity the more charming for being so natural and unconscious, and that was the last Clarence was ever destined to see of her he turned to Merliflor, whose eyes still betrayed the pride he felt in his beloved. "'I don't mind telling you, old chap, uh, Prince Merliflor, that I took to you from the start, and, as I can't be the lucky man myself, I'm jolly glad it's to be you.' "'Thank you,' said Merliflor, who was less given to florid phrases than the average fairy prince. "'So am I.' "'I dare say,' Clarence went on, as he realized the contrast between his own clothes and the magnificent costume that the old fairy had provided for her royal godson. "'I dare say you're thinking we're not looking very smart.' Merlefleur was honestly able to disclaim having any impressions on the subject. "'Well, these togs must seem a bit rummy to you, but I can assure you that, for informal occasions like the present, they're quite the right thing in England.' He had a momentary impulse to accept his father's white tie, but, after all, why should he say anything about that when mirliflor knew no better so he decided to pass it warned by the very best society mirliflor politely accepted this information and then made his farewells edna's good wishes were couched in a spirit of frigid magnanimity she had too much self-respect to let him perceive that she resented his fickleness they were now alone in the antechamber from time to time, Mrs. Wibberley Stimson would rise impatiently and peer out into the vast hall, now only lit by one or two flickering cressets, to see if the store-car had arrived, but the attendants in waiting always assured her that it had not. And, after some fussing and fretting, she lay down on a divan and fell into an uneasy slumber. Her husband was snoring placidly. Ruby had cried herself to sleep long before. Edna had brought down her lecture notes and was conscientiously employing the time in polishing up her knowledge of English literature. Her notes on Nietzsche's philosophy had been torn out after the rupture with the Count. Somehow, the Nietzschean theories did not seem to work quite well when carried into practice. But after deciphering a very few literature notes, Edna found herself too drowsy to continue. Clarence remained awake longest. It wandered restlessly out into the hall just to look at the great staircase half lost in the gloom. Daphne had ascended it a little while since. Tomorrow she would come down, fresh and radiant, to meet Mirliflor Before long they would be married and crowned, and live happy ever after in the good old Merchenland way. Well, he wouldn't have to look on and see them doing it, which was some consolation. He went back to the antechamber, and regarded the sleeping forms of his family with disillusioned eyes. We look like royalties, I don't think, he said to himself. No wonder they've booted us out. Why, a Bolly rabbit Warren would! But this depressing reflection soon ceased to trouble him, unless it still continued to shadow his dreams. End of chapter 21